If they know kids that are National Honor Society, if they know the kids that are on the football team, if they know the Science Olympiad or the dance team, and they get to hear the way those people plan their future, the way the other students plan their opportunities, if they hear about, oh, we did a trip to Dallas and then we did a trip to Arkansas with Science Olympiad, they won't just live in their own apartment building. They will have gone to Dallas. They would have gone to Fort, Fort Worth. They may have gone to Austin. They can see the Capitol. Our kids' world will open up. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast from Elevation Education that explores how we can help make an impact on our nation's highest growing student demographic, multilingual learners. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. Before we introduce this episode's guest, I want to take a moment to remind you that the interview you're about to hear is just one part of our exploration of this topic. You'll find multimedia resources, including a transcript of this episode, accompanying blog posts, videos, collaboration opportunities, and so much more on our learning community. Visit bit.ly slash getmlresources for more information. Of course, you can also go to Elevation Education's website and find the community there. And once you're there, use the search bar and filters to find the information you're looking for. There is just so much information for you. On this episode of Highest Aspirations, what vital roles do social and cultural capital play in determining the opportunities available to students who are also new arrivals? How can peers be leveraged to help newcomers cross the we-them divide while growing academically? What does it mean for new arrivals to cross the finish line, and what are a few key steps educators can take to help them get there? We discuss these questions and much more with Pamela Broussard. Pamela is a passionate keynote speaker, presenter, and high school new arrival center teacher from Houston, Texas. She has more than 30 years of teaching experience, ranging from elementary to master's degree prep courses. She has taught regular ed, special ed, ESL, EL, ML, SLIFE, and new arrivals. She's really done it all. She's taught in the USA and abroad. In addition to teaching, she is Rotary International Peace Fellow. She has traveled to more than 35 countries, including working in Afghanistan for seven years. She has spent time in refugee camps, war zones, orphanages, trash heaps, and human trafficking zones. These experiences and trainings have given her a wealth of experience with social-emotional learning, cultural-responsive teaching, and trauma-informed teaching. When she's not teaching, you can find her with her hands covered in paint, glue stuck to her fingers, and collage supplies across her desk doing art. She is the founder of Leading ELLs and Pamela Broussard, LLC. One additional note here that I want to bring up is that we had John Seidlitz interview a panel of Pamela's uh, students, former students, at our Impact 2021 conference back in December. And the impact that she had on these students was profound and real, and you could really see it on their faces and in every one of their responses. I think that you'll notice that also, uh, the passion that she has as you listen to this conversation. So without any further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with this week's guest, Pamela Broussard. Pamela Broussard, thank you so much for joining us on Highest Aspirations. It is great to be here. I'm excited about getting to just hang out with you and and, uh, spend this time with you guys. So thank you for inviting me. Yeah, same here in the background here is uh, we had some of your former students join us uh, at our impact conference, John Seidlitz uh, interviewed them about some of their experiences and boy, it was really, really a remarkable session. Uh, we missed you there. And so we're bringing you back now. And, and John has been talking about you for a long time. He recommends a lot of our guests. So I guess right off the bat, I say this a lot, but thank you, John, for recommending uh, you to come up. Yeah. So, uh, you know, We've talked a little bit about the work you're doing. It's really, really, I found it quite inspirational. And I, I, I have to say that I love the way that you express the things that you express. It's very genuine. Um, it's also uh, uh, very direct, I think, in many ways, which I really appreciate. And so the idea of, um, of helping new, new arrivals build their social and cultural capital um, to get what you call across the finish line, which we'll kind of get to a little bit later, has become like a passion project for you. I mean, I feel like this is like what you do in addition to all the other things you have to do as a teacher. Um, and it's, like I said, we'll come back to that finish line piece at the end, but I'd love to hear a little bit about like how this all started for you. I know there were some specific experiences that kind of kicked this off. Yes, yeah, first of all, I, I am a new arrival center teacher in Houston, Texas. And so I work with new arrivals in a high school setting. 
And I was really fortunate to have a mentor, a teacher who had come before me, who was super wise. And so um, Gail Stevens has kind of started some of this. But um, what happened to me personally was it was towards the end of a school year and I saw a student. My high school has um, at that time on almost 4,000 students. So it's very easy not to see a student for a whole year that you had in the past, you know, because they're mm -hmm. a different part of the building. And I ran into this student. I said, hey, you know, what are you doing next uh, after college? I mean, after high school, you know, it's May. What are you, what's your next? Because I think I'll go to college and probably. And I was like, well, have you applied? He's like, no. And have you um, applied for financial aid? And he said, no. And I'm like, well, did you take the SAT? And he's like, no, what's that? And there was, I, I just gasped because we'd gotten to May and here's this kid and I'm at a good school who loves kids, who pours into kids. And this kid's completely fallen through the crack. And then I had some other experiences with some other students uh, here that next year. And I had a straight A student who had just, you know, honor roll every single time, taking advanced courses and things like that. And so I asked him when I saw him, like, did you apply for NHS or National Honor Society? He said, I did, but I can't be in it. I go, yes, you can. You have straight A's. Why can't you? He says, well, I don't have any service hours and I don't have any volunteer hours. And I went, wow, because they don't know to do that. And then the third, the third conversation that really hit me was um, I met with some kids one time and they had already graduated from here and they're catching up with them. And I was like, how's it going? What are you doing? And how's your friends? And they told me at that point that, sorry, the light here. That's um, right. One second. The, well, they told me at that point that oh, we don't have any friends who don't speak our language. And I was like, you don't have any friends? And they're like, yeah, no, we've never talked to people who don't know our language. And so I saw these three big gaps that were really impacting my students. Um, and at that point, I was just like on a mission. We have got to change this story. We've got to change their story. And so um, it's just been a super big passion of mine. And I have great teammates and we all work together towards changing the narrative. You know what strikes me about what you just said as you go flip the lights on, which is fine. Um, it, 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 it's, it's came from asking students who you had formerly questions, you know, and it's kind of a, one of these things where just these conversations come up and you realize something's going on and you decide it's, it's time to make a change. But so much of what we talk about is <clears throat> comes down to relationships and talking with students and getting to know them and not just, uh, I guess, assuming that all of the pieces of the machine are functioning properly for all students all the time. And so clearly, obviously, students know what they're doing to get into college. It's certainly not the case in this experience. Right. And I think that that's what I thought, because they came to me, these particular students all had me when they were in ninth grade. So I just assume it got it happened after me. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happens in those other courses. I know other kids go to college. So I, other kids get jobs. So I thought but there was a place, a time and a place that everyone was learning all these skills. Everyone was learning what they needed and on and all the pieces. And I realized that um, they don't, that students often don't get it. And when you talk to people, they'll say, but we offered it in their language. Right, right. Or we offered this. And what happens is if I don't understand that I need an SAT and you even give an announcement or you give a flyer in my first language, why would I go sign up to take a test? Nobody wants to take a test. Why would I do something? Why would I want to sit in the past? Today I sit, yesterday I sat. So it, like even go take an SAT, go study for an SAT, or here's a website. Even if you give those announcements or you have those nights, what about the transportation? What about um, understanding that I even need it? And that's where we found the gap. There are resources out there in our schools, but not understanding that you need to get to them. And we had a counselor one time like, well, they can come and ask me a question. Mm -hmm. I realized our kids don't have questions because they don't know what we're even talking about yet. Right. And so we had to, to really dissect it and get it to where our kids um, would have all the pieces they needed to get to the end. Yeah. And speaking of the end, you know, or the finish, like one thing that you've said um, is that the, the inequity in education shows up not in how they start, but how they finish. And this is one of the reasons why I know that you believe this work is so important. Talk a little bit more about, about that. Yeah, when I see, if you read articles, if you've got the top 10 articles or you search the internet, inequity, inequity in education, and especially with multilingual learners and things like that, you see money putting put in the front end and 
Head Start, early childhood programs, elementary things, community development within the elementary settings and things like that. But what happens by the time they get, you know, their junior, senior high school, you don't hear much. You don't hear people talking about what are we doing for the 11th graders that are multilingual learners? What are we in the 12th graders? How are we getting them to the end? And there are programs out there, things like AVID, um, that works really hard with uh, kids like this. But I think it's similar. We drop the ball. And, and it's something that I think we need to focus on that end too. Because it's just a few little things that will help them get to the finish line. Graduation, college and career ready. Just a few things that will change the trajectory of their lives. Yeah, what you're saying, it, 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 sorry to interrupt, but it really resonates with me as a former high school teacher. You know, you see a lot of kids who, for lack of a better term, fallen through the cracks at some point, and they're a junior and a senior. So it's like, how much are you going to invest at this point? Which sounds crazy and 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 ridiculous, but I think that comes from the assumption that either the student has the right kind of maturity and independence to go and do these things on their own, or that there are systems in place that are going to help find them. So you, you talked about there are only a few things that, that we need to do. What, what are those things that we need to do to make it happen? For me, there's three parts. And um, is students, our, our multilingual learners, need to feel like they belong somewhere. And that's first. If you don't settle anything else, they've got to buy into this is their school, this is their place, this is where they get the information, and this is where they get support. And I'm part of this community. Um, and then they also need the social and cultural equity issues built into, and that, that, that has to be intentional. It doesn't happen organically mm -hmm. or, or not enough organically. It needs to be structured. And then step-by-step -step planning on how, how to graduate, how to find careers and what to do along the way. And those three elements have to happen, I think, to find and create successful multilingual learners who graduate with their peers beside them at the same level and with same the same honors and opportunities that the other students had. Yeah, I mean, again, like I think this is such a crucial conversation. You know, I find I find that we do we do talk about the start quite a bit, whether it's the start of early childhood education or the start of when a student first gets here, or what or the start of when they're in the ESL or ELL or whatever you call it, wherever you are program, and when you sort of uh, reclassify or when you are done with it. Um, but what you're talking about here has has those like sort of I hate this expression I don't know why I'm using it but there's kind of real life consequences real life is what they're going through every day in school too but you know what I mean that kind right. of career transition they have long term consequences exactly yeah economic consequences and social consequences that we don't we don't usually talk about I don't hear people talk about it much yeah and they just mentioned so that's maybe a good time to talk about this that we, you talk about social capital um explain what you mean by that and and why it's so important to you right well actually uh pierre baudet baudieu blue uh b-o-u-r-d-i-e-u uh Baudu, when in uh, doubt spell it <laughs> yes um is a sociologist and he came up with a concept and and in the setting, in the way I look at it, my interpretation is just a social capital is what you gain financially from knowing people, what you know, who you know. You know, for example, if if you had Bill Gates and Bill Gates was your friend and he invited you over, you would be have opportunities because of the people you met. Mm -hmm. That would help you financially. I went to a gala last night, uh, two nights ago. There were very wealthy people there that I normally wouldn't be in my life. But they have connections to organizations and people and resources, not just financially, but just socially. That would help me in my career have I wanted to go to this direction or that, or the advice that I could get. So the who you know. Um, and in high school, putting that in a high school setting, think of if our, if our ESL or ELLs or MLs, if they know kids that are National Honor Society, if they know the kids that on the football team, if they know the Science Olympiad or the dance team, and they get to hear the way those people plan their future, the way the other students plan their opportunities. Oh, I've got to, I got the SAT on Saturday. What, well, what's that? If they hear about, oh, we did a trip to Dallas and then we did a trip to Arkansas with Science Olympiad, our kids' world will open up. They won't just live in their own apartment building. They will have gone to Dallas. They would have gone to Fort, Fort Worth. They may have gone to Austin. They could see the Capitol. You know, and so academically, they're going to open up. And then the fact that they've done that, they're going to hear more opportunities. They're going to hear 
even things about jobs. Oh, you work at this place? Is there anybody else? You know, do they need any help? Because I need a job, which can help them get out of the um, the low wage jobs because mm -hmm. they may have connections. They may see opportunities. Um, so part of like, what do you know? Who do you who do you know? Is the social capital, and then there's the cultural capital. Is understanding how the systems work. It's really knowing what to do. Um, how do you speak? What is your posture? What do you wear for a job interview? And if you are an outsider from that, um, then it's your opportunities get closed. And I can give you a perfect example. I lived in Afghanistan and I had a dear Afghan friend and I like bright colors and I wear bright colors often. And he pulled me aside one day and said, you're too old to wear bright colors <laughs> because in his culture, it was inappropriate. So imagine if I had gone to a job interview in my, my normal bright colors in Afghanistan, I probably wouldn't get the job because I didn't know that there was a social rule that would cancel me out. So in high school, you have students who, you know, they're about to enter the career world and so a lot of them are already working and they're going to go to job interviews and they don't know that, oh, we don't do that. We don't chew gum while we're interviewing or you know, because it's not wrong or, or just different in their culture. Um, they may not, they may speak too loudly, you know, and that's just culturally, it's fine because if you are coming from a communal uh, society where you're in all together and everyone just talks louder than the last one, or you in a culture where all your walls were cement, you might talk louder. Mm -hmm. You don't realize. So getting that cultural capital, um, all of those kinds of things, financially help, but also just fitting in and feeling building relationships with Americans that were born here and, and being able to do that. A student doesn't have to go into a, a, a culture that's different than his own once he's here, but he should have the opportunity because he should know how to navigate. Oh, this is the way they do it. This is the way that group does it. And they are able to navigate that. And I think that our kids don't get scholarships. Our kids don't get jobs they don't get opportunities because they've never had anyone teaching them the, the ropes of how to do these things in our cult in this culture with their new arrivals it's really fascinating stuff and i i don't think you've necessarily said anything that like that once you say it people wouldn't be like oh yeah that makes total sense but it's not they're not things that we i think many of us think about often and there are not things certainly that I think that we do a lot about. And I'm going to bring up like a, a, an example of something that we do here and do a lot of that might be similar to this. And you tell me, um, this is kind of just, we just thought of this, but like we talk a lot about uh, academic language, the importance of academic language and teaching academic language to students, right? Um, right? We talk a lot about a content teacher who doesn't work with a lot of multilingual learners, not understanding that a student uh, is not proficient or not able to do what they need to do in English because they know informal social language, but they don't know academic language, right? That academic language most educators know is the key to academic success, right? And so right. there's a push in most places to make sure that students have academic language. I mean, we as an organization, Elevation is focusing on creating tools that allow students to learn that. And that's and that's great. And I stand by and I think it's amazing. But what you're talking about, it, it, it's a different kind of access. Like it's not the language, it's the people it's the it's the way that we do things here and it borders a little bit on like you know i, I think many teachers uh in, in a very um protective almost way um want students and understandably so and i think anybody listening to this podcast isn't going to take this the wrong way but like they're they want to maintain students cultures and identities perhaps too much i mean to the point where you're not introducing them to what needs they need to know in order to navigate our society. And I've, we've talked about this overprotectiveness, the kind of pobrecito syndrome quite a bit. What's your take on that? Am I, is that too extreme? No, I, I would agree. I think that it is, you know, as we all say, additive. You know, when I went off to school, to call to university, my mother said to me, I want you to get a degree. I don't care if you ever use it. If you want to stay home and be a stay-at-home mom, that's great, We will, but we want to pay for you to get a degree. So you always have that in your back pocket. Mm -hmm. When we expose ourselves to more cultures and more concepts and more ideas, and we can flow between different yeah. cultural groups, 
you know, then I have more opportunities in my life because I can work with this culture and that culture. I can, I can um, build bridges between this culture and that culture. I can, I'm not giving up my culture. In Afghanistan, I still wore bright colors sometimes, but I knew when I was gonna be in a certain culture, if I was the only foreigner there, I'm gonna to tone it down a little bit because I'm about to go to a meeting where I need them to respect me as a right. mature person. And for them, the bright colors were for young people. So it's not, it's, we, want, we do want students to keep their original culture but it's just giving them the tool to navigate others as well. Mm -hmm. And so the way I tell my kids, um, I said, you know, small-minded people understand one thing, one culture, one way. I said, but open-minded people understand many cultures and many things in many ways. Yeah. I said, I want to make you so that you can go anywhere at any time and work among any kind of people. And I said, so we're going to learn that. And I may not agree with you on a cultural difference. And that may not be my value. I may not value this. I may value something very different. Like when we're talking about Afghans um, culture and where they are very community-based and I'm, you know, we're very independent as Americans. So we have a very big difference, but I can understand you're gonna base your decision on this. I'm not changing. I'm still an American today. I'll always be an American, but I can work within an Afghan culture because I understand that the value there is the community. And so, to me, it is just giving kids keys to unlock as many doors yeah, as possible. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I could, I could kind of wax philosophical about this forever, but I, but I want to get into specifics. I know you actually have some first steps about how to make this happen, and you've done this work. So I think what people are probably wanting to hear from you isn't isn't me talking, asking you kind of theoretical questions, but what, what how, how do we do this? How do we make this happen? Well, the first thing I said, like I said at the beginning, is that I think it's really important that students feel like they belong. And there's just some really easy ways to do that. Um, and the first one of the first things, and again, I teach new arrivals who come with zero English in my class. And so even at that point, there's things that we can do. So we give our, like I give my students um, photos of the, of the administrators at our school or anybody, you know, some of the people that they might, they might meet or they might run into. And so as soon as they can say, my name is, what is your name? What is your job? We go meet all the principals. We meet the, the librarian, we meet the nurse. And that, there's two reasons for that. When we kind of started this, there was some, this was quite a few years ago, there was some undertone, not appreciation of immigrants. <laughs> you know, it was around and it wasn't everywhere, but it was around. And so we knew we needed to bridge that. And, and work on that and help our kids and help our community. But our kids go to all of them. So all of the administrators know our kids. They know them when they're terrified and they can only say, hi, my name is. And so our kids go and say, what's your name? What's your job? And they have to fill it out on the paper. They have to shake their hand. And we go through the school, not a scavenger hunt, it's, it's planned, but, and we meet them so that my kids know who the leaders are of a school right away. Now, when you can carry that by the end of the year, when we have a end of the year celebration, I make my kids go introduce themselves to the superintendent because I, I want them to know your voice, you're here, your matter. My kids have written to, you know, um, the Supreme Court justices and they're like, the, the United States called me and the uh, Supreme Court justice like office called me like, uh, we've got these letters from these kids and, and can you explain to us why? And I was like, yeah, because I want them to know that their voice matters. So, <laughs> you know, can they talk to you? And, and they're like, well, no one has ever asked this before. I'm like, okay, well, that's okay, because I got great kids. And I want them to know that they can talk to all the Supreme Court justice and write them letters and get answers. It's in poverty, and now today, kids, on, because of all the electronics, they don't print pictures. Mm -hmm. You know, and even most of us today don't do it anymore. We rarely print it. Print the pictures, give them to the kids, even if they're black and white, so that they can see, this is my group, I belong here, this is my school. Because they're new in the country, they don't usually have a lot of art in their house, but they can put a picture of them with the school. So you're giving them a vision. This is my community. I belong here. Very easy thing to do. You have a printer or, or you take it to the uh, Photoshop. Um, another thing we do at the end of the year, we ask all the clubs to donate t-shirts, any t-shirts. My kids don't care that it was from the prom that already happened. My kids don't care it's from the football game that already happened. They're just excited to have a shirt. Again, it's so that they have an identity. This is my school. I have a shirt that says my school, I belong here. And so I, we're trying to build that, learning the Pledge of Allegiance. And I've gotten some pushback on that. 
know, mm-hmm. why do you make your kids memorize it? I'm like, they don't ever have to use it, but they have to understand it so that they're part of this culture. It is a part of the fabric we have here as pledging to the flag. So I want my kids to know it and be able to say it, you know? And so things like that are very, very easy to do in the beginning. And then there's, there's more advanced things to do. And so I don't know if you have any follow-ups or if you want me to go ahead and go on to those. Yeah, well, we can go on to those in a second, but I just want like, while we're pausing, <clears throat> so much of this is the teacher as the advocate, right? I mean, I saw uh, various examples in getting to know you and getting to know your former students of you fiercely advocating for your students, but doing so, not but, and doing so in a way that you knew that these students were capable of doing amazing things. And so if they weren't going to advocate for themselves or in some situations put themselves maybe in an uncomfortable position, which for me, even as a student who is a full-on native speaker of English, was a part of my community since I was born in 11th grade, I got to go introduce myself to the superintendent. That's uncomfortable for me. But that kind of discomfort, it, 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 it yields results, right? So that kind of advocacy as a teacher, <clears throat> that ability to kind of uh, promote productive struggle to understand where that line is. I mean, that's that's a delicate balance, right? Right. It, you, it, you, it has to be built on trust. Yeah. You know, it, 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 your students have to trust you. And, and I don't do it nonchalantly. I explain what I'm doing. I'm doing this because we're going to do this because I want you to be able to go to anyone, anywhere and present yourself. And that's why we're doing this. So it's not like just go do it. They wouldn't do it. They never would. Again, you know? it's, it's with the end in mind, right? Which you have a you have a very clear vision of what that end is. And you mentioned some more kind of like next things. And this is really where it has to do with what you call crossing the we them divide. So what do you mean by that? I think we have an idea. And what have you done to to encourage it? Right. Like I said earlier, you know, we I was having students who had graduated who had never made a friend with someone who lit who was born here and did not speak their their language. And so um, that's important on both sides. It's important for the students who were born in the United States to have cross-cultural experiences. Um, so when they hear rhetoric on the news and in the community about people, immigrants, refugees, it's different when that's my friend in third period mm-hmm. than just this abstract term, the immigrants and refugees and things like that. Yeah, hard to hate close but, up. <laughs> yeah. When, yeah, it's very, I hadn't heard that, but yeah, it's, it's, you're not going to be mad when you know the person, you know? And so a few years back, our math teacher who had, was friends with a girl on our campus that had PALS. It's a peer assisted leadership program. It's the kids, we had called it something else when I was in high school. It was the kids who went as mentors to the elementary school. They also sometimes go to special ed schools, special ed classes, and they help. And our math teacher who's working with our students says, well, why don't you go to NAR, New Arrival Center? If I could suggest, if one thing you want to totally change your program and have the greatest impact, I would say this is it. And that was these students, the PALS, peer assistant leaders, they're um, students. Some of them are former students of ours, but Mm -hmm. they're students who are their junior or senior year and they applied to be in this program as good mentors to others. And they come in once a week. I have a block schedule, so I know that would, it would, I would not do it once a week if I didn't have a block schedule. So I do have my students longer than most teachers do. And um, they come in once a week and we start at the beginning of the year just playing games, just little silly games and they have absolutely no purpose but laugh and to relax my students, let them have fun. But now those kids, my students say hi to those American students in the hall. The American students say hi. We bridge the gap. They have to do it in class. So they're going to have to talk to each other. And they know that they're playing games or they're team one. And so all of a sudden, I don't have to figure out how to get into that group of American kids over there and help, you know, I don't have to know how to start the conversation with that kid and my the other students in my class now that I'm no longer in ESL classes or ELL classes or whatever you want to call them. It's already been done. We've already done that. We've broken that barrier. So they know to do that. After we've done that a little bit and played some games, then it becomes academic. They help us with academic things. Um, they This week they were working on state exam writing. And so they came in and they practiced, you know, they read and said, okay, you might want to change this or talking. There's a speaking aspect of our state exam. And they got to talk. You know, I had a student who said to me, one of the pals came and said, can I tell her in a pickle? 
And I'm like, yeah, you can use that. <laughs> like I'm never, I would never have taught my students. I'm in a pickle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so here they're getting that social language mm -hmm. that will open the doors for them later. So we have the pals come. Um, we have um, oh, they things like they learn things like chilling. Um, they can see how they dress. They also, I have a real strong belief in what we call, I call plus one. And the American kids who grow up here, whose parents went to college, they know this. When you're in high school, you need to do high school plus something else. You need mm -hmm. to be in a sport or a music or a game. Where do kids learn that? Where do our new arrivals learn that you need to do that? And by the, if we wait until they have enough English to figure that out, there's no time. Yeah. They're out yeah. of time. They can't be in choir, senior choir, because they now have enough English. And so, you know, when the pals come in, I always ask him, explain, what is your plus one? So that all these kids can see that you do this plus this. Um, we have cheerleaders who come to the classroom. We teach first, and then we take our kids to football games. So then we can go to the football game. Our kids already show up looking like, yeah, we know the cheer. Um, we have like some of the, we have a Hispanic um, dance team who comes and does dances. Again, just a place to belong. Um, we do tours of the school of the certification programs and letting people know. Today we did something, this, this week we did something, we haven't done this in a long time, but um, intercambio. Mm -hmm. Most of my kids, majority of my kids speak Spanish. So we got these Spanish, Spanish kids to come into our class and my kids helped them with their Spanish and, their, and, and they helped my kids with the English. So we were talking back and forth and so my students whose first language, the ones that's first language was Spanish could only speak English. And then the, the kids born here could only, and they went back and said, can we do this again? It was yeah. so wonderful. <clears throat> and they've met now all the kids from PALS. They've met all these kids from Spanish who know some Spanish, you know, building those relationships. And we're developing them. And like I said, both sides love it and appreciate it. They both you know, the, the Spanish teachers like, you know, kids just need to feel like they're important and they give back and our kids really love doing this today. And it's important for them to feel good about themselves too. And so it works both ways. Yeah, yeah. It's really important. That was what you just said was one of my two two takeaways. And I don't really have much else to add. You explained all that beautifully. And you gave people, I think, some really um, kind of simple, well, the kind of next step. You gave simple ones before. These are kind of next steps, but not that difficult to put together really. Um, but there are two, two main takeaways. One is what you were talking about. It's good for everybody. Like this, this is how we build, I think, which is the foundation of how we build successful societies and communities, right? We get right. people who wouldn't normally chat with one another just because of the way that we are kind of here and we open doors um, and we learn about others and that we could use as much of that as we can. I've talked about that a lot on the podcast. The other thing that you, that you mentioned, um, you know, when you said you start, we start off, we just play games, right? And just the goal is for people to laugh and have a good time. It's it, so much of this is about establishing relationships, right? Like just getting to know each other, trust, establishing that trust. We talk about it all the time. Um, but these are really great examples of how you go about doing that, not only between the teacher and the student, but students and other students and open those doors of communication because there's, it's high school, man. I mean, it's an awkward time for a lot of people, especially if you're coming in from a new place and to try to make friends and do that on your own. It's tricky. You need some support. Right. It, it, everyone's trying to figure out, am I okay? Am I all right? And so when I can have a discussion with the students who are born here, like it's great on the first day because they're terrified. Yeah. They're so yeah. scared. And then my kids are scared. And so when I bring them in, I go, are y'all scared? And they're like, uh-huh. And my kids can go, okay, I'm not the only one who's scared. I'm not the only one that finds this cross-cultural thing a little challenging. Um, and then they get through that. I mean, that, that lasts like five minutes. And then they're, you know, then they're fine and they love and they laugh. And, and you know, when you see my kids in the, the Spanish class or the American class um, who's born here, walking out the door and laughing together and, and making jokes and, everybody feels better you know and like like i was saying you know it's hard to be racist um when that friend has a name it's hard to be um to you know what what i think is if you talk to people who've traveled the world and you have a map in the room the first thing they do they'll go to the map and they'll start telling you story mm -hmm. and, and so this is a way to help the kids who grew up, grow up here in the United States meet people from other cultures and other languages and backgrounds without having to leave. 
and they have that opportunity, then it opens their worldview, you know? Yeah. And, and, and if you can't sell it on all of that, if that's not enough, you know, if, if, if happy, emotional, safe, happy and emotionally safe students is not enough to sell it, um, just learning the language. You're going to learn so much more language yeah. by speaking. Your academics are going to improve because, you know, I'm in a pickle, you know, learning idioms, learning expressions, learning ideas, vocabulary expands. And I'm going to tell you something. It's so much more fun to learn English from a cute high school guy or a cute high school girl <laughs> than it is from a 56-year-old teacher, you know? And I know that. And I'm fine yeah. with that. Yeah. Like, have fun, laugh with friends and peers, and get that academic language. Yeah. Know? And they don't ever complain about it. They, they cheer when the kids come. They are so excited about it. And I'm, they're doing the work. They're doing the academic, hard academic work, but they're doing it with fun people that are different than them. And, you know, I had a student who was very underperforming. I inherited him from another teacher, absolutely underperforming. And it drove us crazy because we knew he was smart. But as soon as the American kids who grew up here came in the classroom, man, he wanted to be cool with all of them. And he talked more than he'd ever taught, you know? And so you're, get, you're hitting those academics um, but you're building it through that social contact and emotional support one for each other. Yeah, that's the lever. And it's very human. It's not like a, it's not rocket science. Right. And I think it's right. important. Um, so one thing that you uh, that you have done really well, and I've seen this, I saw it in the panel of students that uh, some of whom were college students, I think uh, one or two of them had actually graduated. Um, is really to develop not only students who are going to be successful sort of crossing that finish line, but leaders. I mean, these young people were inspiring, inspiring people. So what is the sort of deliberate tactics that you are using to not only get them sort of involved and in making sure that they have access to everything they need, but really develop future leaders, which you've done, clearly done. Yeah. Uh, that was started by my friend, Gail and Stevens. And then, then we kind of took another level. We started, she started a club called Global Scholars. And what we do is we take second year students and we train them to put on events for first year students. So once a month, the second year students, we do like a games. We do little, again, these are brand new kids, because I only teach new arrivals, but brand new kids in the country, a lot of stress, a lot of, I'm at home alone in an apartment because I don't have transportation, a lot of isolation. Um, we have a lot of kids carrying financial debt that they borrowed money to get come to the United States. So there's the pressure of money um, on just high school kids that there's, you know, you know, a lot of money that they have to pay back. So they're under a lot of stress. So um, we're just leading games and teaching them how to lead, teaching them how to plan a meeting, teaching them how to set up refreshments, uh, how to clean up all, you know, you're not done until you're done uh, and the responsibility. And so um, that's what we do. We have to take the second year students and they put on an event once a month. The first time they do it, it's usually a disaster, mm -hmm. but, um, and that's okay. Cause I Aren't tell them how scared? to do it. Yeah. I teach it. And, but we just, we won't rescue them in a sense, as long as everyone's safe, we don't rescue and we let them figure it out. Like, how do you control a crowd? They think they know, and then they get up there and nobody's listening. What, are the, what should they do? You know, and we give them tips before, but they don't really hear it until they're in that crisis. And they're like, oh, nobody's listening. By the second, third, fourth meeting, they know how to run it. They know how to write press releases when we do big events. They know how, because we make them go through all that processes and teach them. And what, we, what was exciting and troublesome at the same time is that as we did that, as we created these leaders who we trained for a year and, and helped them develop to become leaders, they started leading in other groups across the campus. So they weren't just leading. And, and that's something important to me is, okay, great, you know how to lead from your minority community and in that, and that's an important role. But if you're gonna make an impact in the world, you gotta be able to go among communities. And so all of a sudden our kids were like leaders of sci in Science Olympiad, leaders in all the other organization because they'd already learned how. So we don't wait till you know enough English to become a leader. You're, you're just finished new arrival and you don't know a lot of English, but you, can, you know more English than the new guys, so you can lead. You're going to lead a meeting. And so that's been very intentional. We bring in men mentors. We put my kids put on a conference once a year. Um, we haven't done it because of COVID, but the kids put on a conference 
and we train people from other school districts how to train their kids to be leaders. And we bring in um, mentors who all came in high school and are successful today. And they came from other countries. And so we do that thing you've seen a million times stand on the line if. And so we get these adults, we don't, the children don't do it, the adults stand on the line if you didn't know how you're gonna pay your next bill. Stand on the line if someone ever told you to go back to your country. Stand on the line if um, you were ever bullied. Stand on your line if um, people didn't realize you were bilingual. Different things. And so our kids see that these guys are successful today. They've survived it. And I'll never forget the first conference. I had a student who was beautiful and smart. She has parents who loved her. She has a great educational background. She was the complete package of a perfect success story. Um, it, at least what you thought. When she, we finished and we were debriefing, I, I, I talked to her, I said, you know, what did you think of the conference? And she goes, Ms. Broussard, I just needed to see one person who'd made it. And I thought, okay, if you, with everything that society says you need to be successful, were doubting if you were gonna make it in this new country, imagine the kids that I have, which is most of my other students who have a lot of things going against them to be successful here. Yeah. You know, and so giving them models, we have former students come back. I have, we have a student who, um, you know, he supported himself 100% here in the United States and went through some, his house, he saved all this money. And then his house, his apartment caught on fire. It was not his fault. Mm. Every penny he had saved in life got burnt up in the fire. Oh my goodness. Because it's all in his house. But he's still doing, he's very successful today. He makes more money than the both of us. Mm -hmm. He's doing really well. But he was a kid who came to school and then went to work until, you know, three, four in the morning and then went to bed for a couple hours and then came back to school the next, in the morning. And he comes and he talks like, yeah, that beginning is hard. It's so hard. But giving students a vision of where they can go by letting them meet other mentors, giving them the training and the tools to how to lead, how to lead a group, how to set things up giving them voices, like places where they get to share their stories. We put on a survival museum, which is a place where our kids tell their stories, um, their immigration stories, if they want, they don't have to, they can share other stories, but giving them a voice that's recognized and appreciated. And so all of those things empower them to go do what they wanna do. Yeah, there's some uh, unbelievable examples and great stories there that I think people can take with them. Um, and I, I kind of want to go back to the beginning here. I kind of teased this idea of this finish line that you, you talked about. So let's, let's come back to that. You talked about this finish line. What, as we kind of get to the end of our conversation here, what, what did you mean by that? What if you just call it college and career ready, ready to go, what do you do after school? And one of the things you know about poverty, if you've studied poverty, is that it's all about today. It's all about, do I have enough food today? So you know, as adults, we might donate. Ruby Payne, many years ago, gave an example of donating a refrigerator to a family who needed one. And then they came back two weeks later and it was gone. And she's like, well, what happened to it? And like, oh, we sold it. And, and, and she's like, what? She goes, well, we had a bill we needed to pay, mm -hmm. you know? And so poverty is taking care of what you can right now. So the idea of long-term planning and looking ahead and how do we get there is, is not always known because it's a different way to do it in different cultures it's not always known because nobody in your families may have ever done it before it's not a practice to if you've lived in poverty like generational poverty to work on your long-term plan it's all about survival so what we want to do is we start working on that right away is how do you plan so my students who are considered ninth graders you know their final in my class is they have to give a speech of what do I have to do all four years in high school to be ready to go to college or their career. So they have, that's their, that's their final and they have to give that. But here's the secret, because it's this oral speech, they get to hear that speech 15, 16, 20 times because they yeah. hear their classmates. So not only have I taught it, they've said it, they've heard it. And I know that they don't understand it all, but the next time they hear SAT or the next day they hear ASVAP mm -hmm. or the next day they hear Time, some kind of word, like, oh, I know that word, that's about college. Oh, that's about joining the military. They, they begin to put those pieces together. How to fill out financial aid form, when to do that. 
I know the deadlines. I, I know it opens up October 1st and they announce it. But if you don't know what FAFSA is, who would pay attention to that announcement every day? Have you done your FAFSA? And to sit and teach them. And one of the things we did at our school was we kind of got all the kid, the adults together who work with this group and said, okay, who's doing what, what year? Like, is there a place in our life that we can add this in? Because it's nobody's curriculum. So where can we add it? So right after state testing, one of my teachers teaches how to fill out a FAFSA. And in Texas, we have something called TASFA. Because we would have kids who are like, have you ever done this? No. Have you ever done this? This. Are you... Are you living here? Yes. Have you lived? Have you done this? Yes. Yes. Have you committed a felony? Yes. Because they didn't know the word felony. Yeah. 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 Figured all those questions were yeses. Yeah. You know, so where are they going to learn that word? And so she just walks them through all the vocabulary for FESPA. It takes a couple of days. She does it that week after week of testing when there's, you know, it's a little, everything's a little chaotic. And when the kids are tired, and she doesn't want to start a brand new unit. She mm -hmm. just takes a couple of days to do the FAFSA form and the TASFA form. We talk about reference letters and, and how to build a resume. And we do that. Uh, one of the teachers every year, they have to put on a graduation hat and they have to write their own graduation speech while they're in 11, um, 9th, 10th grade. So if you're the, you know, dear, congratulations, I have made it to give that vision, to give that goal, here's where you're going to go. Because if you don't have the emotional support and you can't navigate the culture and you don't have connections, that kid's more likely to drop out. That kid, that student is more likely to work in the back and never in the front, you know? And I talked to my kids about that. Do you want to be the worker or the boss? This is how to get to the boss. You can work here. You can be the worker, but let's see how, what steps you need. A really fun example of this is I had a student who was working in a kitchen and he says, I want to, I want to be a waiter and make more money. And the guy said, well, you don't speak English. And he goes, yes, I do. He goes, I've only heard you speak Spanish. He goes, well, let's go in the back with everybody speaking Spanish. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he, the guy goes, well, your English isn't that good. And he said, well, when I pass the state exam, will you give me a job? He goes, yeah, sure. Yeah. I'll give you to you. And he did. And he brought, he passed the, telepathy uh, not telepathy the the star test which is what we take in texas he, mm -hmm. he with the same grades as the americans he had passed it he was able to go back to his employee and said hey i can do this now because he learned to self-advocate he learned to you know and the kids push back a little bit but once they taste it the power of self-advocacy the power of success the power of connections and relationships um, they love it and then they want to do more and it's just natural for them so yeah, you know, one thing that you're talking about now is this idea of like creating, and I think you've alluded to it throughout the conversation, creating a vision, right? Like a lot of it's backwards planning, but like I was reading a book, I forget the name of it. So it was recommended by somebody who was on the podcast. Maybe it was the Happiness Project, I think is about. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, the importance of like having a, a, a vision of where you want to see yourself and if you, and, and how you attach that, right, to the work. That's like the driver or the fuel to get you to where you want to go. And, I think for these kids, it's even more important, right? Because there's just so many challenges. Um, and then that, you know, you, again, you mentioned the advocacy, having somebody um, in their corner, like you inside of the school community that, that you've created is obviously really crucially important as well. Um, one, one thing on that, I, you know, I, one of the things I used to do, I was trained by uh, in leadership development. And I was trained by a guy who does the big, the big fortune 500 companies. And that's one of the things you said is they must have, a, you must have a future vision. I'm going to work with you at Microsoft and I'm going to help develop you as a leader. I'm going to ask you, where do you see yourself in five years? I'll also support you on how to get that. And I think we do goal setting a lot and that's good, but we really have to create that vision, whether it's the photographs from the first day of school and, and it's the graduation cap that they see and it's the plan is creating a vision where they can see themselves. And today, yesterday, I had a student, I had a teacher come in who does, who had been working with the pals. And she said, do you remember this kid? And I go, yeah. And she goes, um, I just saw him. And you, he said to me that you told him he was a leader and no one had ever said that to him before. And he said, it changed my life. And today he's, he's off doing great things. He's off to be a yeah. leader. We've got to plant that vision for the kids, help them see it. Cause you don't see it when you're in high school. Sometimes even as adults, who am I, where am I going? 
um, but plant that vision for them, help them develop it, and then support yeah. them to reach it. Yeah, well, Pamela, this has been a great, a wonderful conversation. There's so much. Uh, I, I hope that we'll be able to kind of take some takeaways out and we will put in a blog post so that folks can see some of the stuff that you're talking about, which kind of leads me to what I want to ask now. And we'll link to all this. How, how can people learn more about the work that you're doing or just in general about some of these strategies that you're using to clearly make an impact on these students? Yeah, I run a Facebook group called Leading ELLs, English Language Learners, um, Leading ELLs. And so I post stuff there constantly. I also have a web page called Leading ELLs. And my Twitter is Leading ELLs. So <laughs> pretty, you can remember that. You can find me somewhere. But um, I'm not a bit as big tweeter, Twitter, tweeter. I don't tweet as much as other people because I'm long-winded. So I go to Facebook and I can write longer. Yeah, so you'll yeah. find more on Facebook and then on my and then resources and things like that are on my um, webpage. Great. Well, Pamela Broussard, it has been a pleasure chatting with you. I think anybody who's listening can hear the kind of passion for your work that you're doing, which again is like part teaching, part vision making, part advocacy. It's it's everything I think that we need. And and I think most importantly. You know, you, you, you haven't made it sound, you're doing a lot of work, and I'm sure that you're very busy all the time, but you, you haven't made these things sound super complicated. You've just kind of unveiled some, hopefully, strategies that people can use, begin using right away. And with the resources that you gave, I'm sure somebody will find something that they can use. So thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate the time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.